soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. where God said, your children are going to be descendants, they're going to be slaves for centuries, but then they'll come to this promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So even the deliverance of the Hebrews, the Jews, out of their slavery in Egypt, had a perfect timing where it was a time for them to be a nation and come into the land, and it was the perfect time for judgment upon the people who had been given over to their sins in the land. So we see his perfect timing in judgment, We see his perfect timing in deliverance for nations and people. We see his perfect timing for Jesus coming. We see his perfect timing for coming into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey to the day. And the last example I'll give you is when Lazarus died and they sent messengers to Jesus. And he said, okay, well, we'll we'll be there. And, And when he got there, both Mary and Martha said, if you'd only been here yesterday, essentially. If you'd only been on time. And what to me is fascinating about John chapter 11 and that story is I think that's something we all relate to. Where we say, Lord, if you'd only, man, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you moving on this? Why aren't you answering this prayer right now? Why don't we have this baby? It's been two decades. How long are you going to make us wait for the son of promise? And we can lose heart sometimes with God's timing. And we can be like Mary and Martha and just say, in our grief, in our heartaches, and say, Lord, if you'd only been on time. But Jesus was on time. Jesus is always on time. Driving to Charlottesville, Virginia in 1988 with my wife, Jennifer, when she was pregnant with Jesse, we'd gone back to Virginia to be on the 700 Club. Skip Isaac from Albuquerque met us there. And because I'd lived in Charlottesville, where University of Virginia is, we were going to go visit there. So Jennifer and I were driving. It was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget going through Richmond and listening to Bible teaching. And there's no Bible teaching quite like on the radio in the South. I mean, it's, it's Bible preaching. It's good old fundamental Bible preaching. And I'll never forget that message, driving through Richmond on this 64 beltway that goes around Richmond. And this preacher from the South kept saying, God is always right on time. And he gave all the examples in the human experience. We can say, God, why weren't you here? Why didn't you come in time here? God is always on time. And this text tells us tonight and affirms us and reminds us tonight that God's timing is always right on time for the right job, for the right place to live, for the right roommates, for the right college, for the right admittance, for the right healing when there's going to be healing, for the comfort when there's not going to be healing. God is always right on time. Jesus Christ is never late in our life. The Holy Spirit never comes late in our life. And that's why the Bible tells us to wait upon the Lord. And those that wait upon the Lord will not lose strength, but they shall mount up with wings like an eagle, and they will run and not grow weary. That's 
the heart of the Lord. And sometimes that waiting process for the promises is so critical to make us ready for the fullness of the promises. And we might say, oh, Lord, that Ishmael would stand before you. And God's like, no, it's not Ishmael. I'm going to be right on time. At the set time. There's a set time when you and I are going to step into eternity. And essentially, as you walk in the will of the Lord, you're unstoppable. We've been talking about that as well. You're like David charging Goliath. You're simply unstoppable in God's will. As we abide in the Lord and we seek to be faithful in things he has for us, we're, we're, we're going there, but there's a set time. David said in Psalm 139, the days were fashioned for him when as yet there was none of them, but they're fashioned for us. And like sand in an hourglass, we know what's beneath us, but we don't know what's above us. But the sense that time does have an ending, that time is not guaranteed. Because the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises in our life is when we stood on the grave and we hear the words of Jesus saying to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live forevermore. And we're just going to whisper or moan or nod our head or raise our hand. But like Mary and Martha, we're going to say, yes, Lord, I believe. We might give a we might give a shout too. You just don't know. But I've said this many times that our greatest moment of faith is when we breathe our last, because that's the payoff. God ensures that of all of His promises to us, that we let Him work in and through our life as we obey Him and trust Him and live for Him. Of all the promises, the payoff promise is when He comes for us as the Good Shepherd to take us through the valley of shadow of death. And for some of us, we think, well, that's way down the road. And it might be. But it's always right around the corner. It's always right around the corner. Because of all the times it's right on time is your last breath. And when all the promises come to head and the payoff is for you, it's on your last breath. So don't think that you've missed the promises. Don't think that your best day of serving the Lord is behind you. Don't think that the greatest steps of faith are behind you. No, I'm telling you, your greatest step of faith is your last breath. And it's, it's just believing in Jesus for who he is. It's not a doing. It's not a doing. It's a believing. It's a believing. Like when Melissa Henning Camp got off her deathbed from cancer out of her coma and said to her husband, Jeremy Camp, I am healed. She didn't earn that testimony. She simply declared it when Jesus came for her in that hospital room so many years ago in San Diego. And I am an eyewitness of that moment. But until we have that last day, that appointed day, where our faith and the promises are at maximum level, we have this journey. And Maybe we got the job, maybe we didn't get the job. Maybe we got the promotion, maybe we didn't get the promotion. Maybe you're way more qualified than someone else, but they get the promotion because grandpa's the boss or something. Or there are so many injustices. You know, just having finished Proverbs in my morning devotion this last month, I read a proverb chapter a day, just finished it up yesterday. Man, God says a lot about justice and injustices in Proverbs as well as his law. There's just a lot of injustice. There's a lot of things that are unfair. Just make sure you're the person that is, stands up for truth, justice, and righteousness, and what's good. But don't lose heart on the promises. Don't give up on the promises. Don't think the promises aren't there for you. 
because they are there for you. God is faithful. And in the set time, they come to pass. His prayer, his answer to our prayers is yes, no, or wait. So what we're really talking about here is yes and wait. Because no promise truly is a no. He might say no to things, it's a permanent no, and that's good for you. Promises are yes and amen. So we shouldn't lose heart because things haven't gone, because we've been doing the right thing, don't work out, doesn't work out. Look at Joseph in Egypt. He did the right thing in forgiving his brothers. Then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him, and he still does the right thing. In the prison for two years, he's forgotten after he interprets the dream of, of the butler. And in one day, he went from the prison to the palace. In one day, he went from being like the steward of the prison to being the number two man in Egypt with the signet ring of Pharaoh. In the appointed time, look what Joseph had to go through to be ready to be entrusted with that power of that signet ring in that ancient empire of Egypt. What he had to be able to forgive people of. What he had to learn about administration and justice and faithfulness. And then with much like Abraham and Sarah with no reason to believe it's ever going to change. And one day he gets the call up to the palace and he's the second in command and he saves the nation of Egypt. He pleases his boss and he saves his own nation of people, the Hebrews. God's always right on time. If he's saying, wait, wait on the Lord. Then we also see Abraham's obedience, which would be easy to overlook, but in the context here, I think it's really important to consider it. He called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And that's what he's told to call him. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. In thinking about being entrusted with great promises and a legacy of a great life of faith and amazing things, that Abraham is for all humanity and particularly those of faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to be tested next week. In Genesis 22, we've got the big test coming, Abraham and Isaac. It's coming. It's like a mountaintop we're moving toward. But what I like about this simple verse here in the middle of this little section here is that he did what was obvious. He called his son Isaac he gave him the name he's supposed to, much like John the Baptist. His name is John. Remember he wrote it? His name is John. Oh, why don't we call him a different name? His name is John. And he called him Isaac, and he circumcised him on the eighth day. Here's the point. In the most basic acts of obedience, he did exactly what he knew to do, that God wanted him to do, in the situation. Now, the son of promise is God bringing about. Obviously, he had intimacy with his wife, and that was part of the plan, unlike the virgin birth uh, and all that with Mary. But they've been trying to come together to have a child for decades. But really, to see this, this record of simple obedience, he called the son we're supposed to be called, and he circumcised on the eighth day. Like, well, of course he did. That's what we all do. It's almost like if you're a good Christian, you go to church. You know, you, you put something in the offering basket. Uh, you pray for missionaries. Like, yeah, but like sometimes people don't do what's really obvious to do. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they forsake the assembly of the brethren. They don't fellowship. They don't trust God with their finances. 
They don't share their faith. There's a lot of things that naturally happen with Christians abiding in Christ that don't happen in a lot of people's lives who say they're Christians. They don't forgive. There's a lot of Christians who don't forgive other people. There's a lot of people confessing Christ that don't obey Christ. And that's why Jesus said, you don't come to me and say, Lord, Lord. I'll say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's lots of people confessing Jesus Christ in the world, but do we see the heart for the Lord? Do we see the hunger for his word? Do we see the faithfulness of the gospel? Do we see the integrity of his word? Do we see fellowship? Do we see uh, forgiveness? Do we see love? Do we see grace? Do we see mercy? Because those are things that are the obvious basic things that God would work in our life as we give our hearts to Christ. I mean, they got saved on the day of Pentecost, and then immediately they were, they were gathering the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. So sometimes the most obvious things that God would have for us as people of promise, we don't see them at all. We see convenient Christianity or self-serving Christianity. Christ sent down the cross for convenience, and he sure didn't rise from the grave for self-serving the resurrected Jesus Christ is a death sentence in our flesh and our pride to stir us for the things of the kingdom. As an example, a servant's not greater than his master. So Abraham doing these things, calling Isaac Isaac and circumcising on the eighth day, it reminds us that what we know what to do when we're waiting on the Lord, we should do. It reminds us that basic obedience is basic obedience. And you, you cannot find in the life of any great men and women use of the Lord in church history or Old Testament history as well. You won't find greatness without obedience in the basic things. If you see macro greatness by human terms or even macro greatness by God's term, you will not see that without obedience in the basic simple stuff. No one gets dumb luck and wins the lottery with the Lord in the sense of God doing something really special in their life. You might have a talking donkey try and stop you from your madness like Balaam. But it is about faithfulness in little things. And faithfulness in little things precedes entrustment of greater things. What did Jesus say? To him who has, more will be given. But to him who doesn't even have, even what he has will be taken from them. And that comes down to obedience. Before there's Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa at 3800 South Fairview Avenue, with the Jesus movement, and what we're, this church is an extension of decades later, there's Pastor Chuck just faithfully teaching small congregations in Tucson and Prescott and other places like that, going to Bible college, working at Safeway to provide for his family while pastoring small churches in the Foursquare movement. What's your point? My point is this. I think it's a reminder to us and to me personally, so to all of us, that we need to obey God in the obvious things, to tell the truth, to be women and men of integrity, to think of others, to esteem others better than ourselves, to just think of others, to have compassion on others, to err in grace, not legalism, but to err in grace, to be merciful, to to show mercy and to receive mercy. That's what the Lord would have for us. That's who we need to be. That's obedience. It's amazing how many people call themselves Christians and their lives don't match up at all with anything consistent with Jesus Christ. And so calling him Isaac and circumcised on the eighth day, that's consistency. 
That's doing the things that you know to do because when you're waiting on the Lord, sometimes you don't know what to do at all. You're waiting to figure out which college to go to. So you apply for this college, this college, that college, and they all cost money and you're waiting on the Lord. You're looking for a job and you just can't go in and meet the boss and shake hands and pass in a resume anymore. When Jeremy tried to get a job up in Boise, he went to one of the firms and the, the secretary said, you're a nice man, but I cannot receive your application because we have a, a you know a middleman, a broker that receives all the job apps and um, you have to go through that. So it's all these algorithms to see if you say the right words on your resume, and then you get a call, in most cases, especially better jobs or higher-end jobs, and then you got to go through this, and you get another one, and then you get maybe a, a FaceTime interview, and then they might call you in. I watched my son go through this process. And it's progressive, and then you're down to one of the final four people to be the recruiter for Grand Canyon University or whatever, or you're one of the two people to get the job working for Corey in Denver, Colorado for the new Hyundai uh, branch in, in Denver. But before you get that face-to-face, you got to go all this stuff, algorithms. You know, it's crazy. But if you're faithful in the little things, you can trust God in the big things. And if he opens that door for you, he opens that door. God knows. God knows. Joseph obeyed the Lord in Potiphar's house when his wife, when Potiphar's wife came after him. He did the right thing. And he forgave his brothers. He obeyed the Lord and did the right thing in the prison. Esther did the right thing when Uncle Mordecai said, look, God's going to deliver his people, whether it comes from you or somewhere else, someone else, but it would seem you're the person. She said, you're right. If I live, I live. I die, I die, but I'm going in. See, we do the right thing and we obey the Lord and we grow our resume of character speaks for itself and we're waiting on the Lord and we put this here and we put that there and this is here and that's there and all these things out of our control this court case that goes on and on and on whenever I pray for people in the church with legal things I just I feel sick I think I'm not even personally involved and I talk to him I feel sick and you know this delay this injunction this thing and that thing and these lawyers and and I was talking to someone last week, and they just said it dealt with a, 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 a trust. And this, this person ripped off about 150000 But when they talked with the lawyers and they got to all this, they said by the time the lawyers are done with it, there'll be like 20000 left divided between four adult siblings. It's not going to be worth the battle. Better off just let it go. It'll take three years, and you'll all end up with a very small amount of money. God knows we do the right thing. Do the right thing. Obey in what you know to obey. Tell the truth. Be character of integrity. Love people. Serve people. Lose yourself in service to people. Be that person. See the hurting around us and care and have empathy. Call your kid Isaac because that's what God told you to do. The poor and the rich have this in common. The Lord made them both. Proverbs 22.1. To have the heart and to be that person to obey. Because what did God say to Saul through Samuel? To obey is better than to sacrifice. And a lot of people do their little religious sacrifices that are self-serving and do not obey. This tells us we need to obey. Within the promises of waiting and fulfilling and they come to pass, you know, some people can't handle prosperity. God finally blesses them with the promises and they just walk away from the Lord. Some people can't handle adversity and some people can't handle prosperity. And I've seen it in both cases in 30 years of being a pastor. 
I'd like to think we could say like Paul, I've learned to abound and I've learned to abase and I've learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, in all that you don't know, when you're waiting for the sign of promise, do the right thing, obey, and then when the promise comes to pass, follow through and don't let it change who you are, but be faithful to God, how God's prepared you to be and who he's prepared you to be in all that time. Because the journey prepares us for the destination, even the fulfillment of promises that affect our life while we're alive in time, space, and matter. Love hopes all things, love believes all things, love bears all things. And that's something we've got to keep in mind with all the people around us. Don't lose heart. And the last thing we see is the joy and the fulfillment of the promise where Sarah said in verse 6, and God has made me laugh. And he did. He made her laugh. It's pretty... <laughs> Made her laugh. The sun means laughter. Like the promises of God. See, God catches the wise in their own craftiness. And not many noble, not many wise are called, but the Lord uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And there's just something humorous about when God does stuff. When he sends a talking donkey. When he puts a coin in the mouth of a fish. There's just, God has a great sense of humor. Look at your pastor. Like God has a great sense of humor. And the Calvary Chapel movement's a testimony of how God redeems men and redeems women. The history of the church is a testimony of God's sense of humor and just how personal he is in our lives. Coming back to where we started tonight, that the promises of God are meant to put in us a disposition of joy and optimism. The Bible says happy is the person who trusts in the Lord, but happiness is more like based upon external circumstances. But joy, like the laughter of Sarah, is just based upon that God is who he is, he's faithful, he keeps his promises, and I'm just laughing right now. That's what that is. It's not because everything's going right. Joy is not the result of, hey, everything's going right, money's in the bank, everything's good, couldn't be better, equals joy, like a chalkboard equation in a college classroom. No. Jesus equals joy. And then let every other human experience just bow down to that. In studying the history of persecuted believers recently, I'm reminded how so many persecuted believers, particularly in the Iron Curtain between the rise of the Soviets, 1920, 21, 22, Bolsheviks and all that in the USSR, and then the World War II, everything leading up to the persecution within the realm of Eastern Europe at that time and Russia and then even the persecution of believers under Hitler as he came more and more to power in the mid-30s, then World War II and just all that happened there. And then, of course, again, the Iron Curtain after that, the true Iron Curtain in the post-World War II era. And all those people sent off to all these camps, and even all the believers sent off to camps all over China right now, all those believers in North Korea in camps, what the Russians called the gulags back in the day. But if you read about those pastors and their wives and their children and their children's children, and how they prospered with the Lord in those times. It's quite inspiring. And what you find in studying them and letting their words speak for themselves, that they counted it all joy. In many cases, in very difficult, excruciating, difficult circumstances, they counted it all joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Jesus said, I can that you might have life and that more abundantly. And so we laugh. We laugh with Sarah because she had a baby at 90 and nursed a baby at 90. We laugh. It's crazy. 
and we can laugh in all the promises that come through her to Israel, the nation, to Jesus, our Savior, and his coming kingdom to come again. We can laugh because he's going to sound his trumpet in the sky and we'll be translated from glory to glory. He's coming. We laugh because all that we see that can discourage us, what we see in time, space, and matter, he'll make it right when he comes in glory. We laugh because injustices will pass away like the, like the old earth that will pass away that we live on right now. We laugh because God's going to do great things. And eyes not seen, nor ear heard those incredible things he's prepared for those who love him and his appearing. So we laugh. Like Sarah, we laugh because the promise goes way beyond her child. It goes to every promise in the Bible that we have this night in Jesus' name. And we have joy. And God wants us to live with joy, not dour and sour. Yes, we're reverent. Yes, we have emotion for difficult things and arduous things. But you know, we have joy. And the world around us will be one to Christ by when they see the joy of Christ and the life of Christ coming forth from our brokenness with this treasure in earthen vessels, the joy of the Lord. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.